Happy Monday, everybody. Back with you. Took last week off. Was uh, There's been a lot of travel, and, and it's been kind of crazy around here. We had back-to-back weekends of marriage conference. For all of you that attended, thanks. It was awesome seeing you. We've, we had a, an amazing conference. It was so good. I felt like the content was great. All of the teaching that I spoke on Friday nights, and then I got to sit and listen to the rest of the the sessions, and it was so good, so encouraging. Um, I've been on the road off and on the last couple of weeks. I uh, got a, a good bit of travel coming up over the next couple of weeks, and um, it's just good to sit down and, and share some thoughts with you. This morning, it's morning time for me now, um, I want to share some thoughts from Luke chapter 9. That's uh, There's, a, there's a, a section of that chapter that is uh, what we know as the transfiguration of Jesus. And it's a, it's a scene where Jesus reveals his glory to some of his closest disciples. And I want to take some considerations and observations from that text. I hope that today will be an encouragement. It's going to be more of a devotional thought um, type of an episode. And it's going to be shorter than normal. Um, November, I take a lot of time off, but I'm not taking as much time off this month. I'm actually focusing on getting the book finished focusing on some network and traveling, meeting with some people uh, on the road this week, meeting with some pastors and ministry leaders in South Carolina. Um, we'll be back towards the end of the week. Um, and then uh, just doing some writing and focusing on getting this book done. You can pray for that and uh, look forward to getting that content out to you. Um, man, appreciate your support. I love this time of year. I hope you're enjoying this time of year, and I hope that this uh, podcast is continually a blessing to you. We put a lot of work into it, but I don't put a ton of uh, like preparation into each episode because I want it to feel like we're sitting at the kitchen table. And I don't want to say I don't put a lot of prep- preparation. I just I don't want it to be overly structured. And so, um, uh, let us know if you like the format, the the combination of of interviews with um, devotional thoughts and and theological thoughts and biblical ideas and, and conversations had some amazing feedback on the, uh, on the episode that I got a lot of feedback on the, on the masculinity episode, the biblical masculinity episode that we did about a month ago. Also got a lot of good feedback on recent interviews with people like Hank, Jessica. Um, it's been good. Uh, I'm excited to be interviewing in, in, uh, the coming weeks. I'm going to be sitting down with my cousin, I've got a cousin who just retired from the U.S. Secret Service, and I'm real excited to sit down with him and and uh, and do an interview with him. Um, so this morning, uh, I want to just walk through the the story of Jesus's transfiguration in Luke nine and give you some thoughts on the idea of the word glory. What do we mean when we talk about the glory of the Lord? And then, spe- like specifically, what Peter is experiencing in Luke chapter 9, and then later when he reflects on it, what he says and how it actually changes his life. Sometimes you'll go through an experience that will ultimately and eventually change your life, but in the moment, it, it may not have the same impact that it will eventually have. Maybe you're too immature in your faith to recognize what God is doing. Maybe it takes some more experiences that come along later for you to be able to look back and reflect and see what God was doing. And the transfiguration is is that type of a, a moment and a situation for Peter. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for your support. Thanks for listening uh, this morning. I hope that this is an encouragement to you. Um, welcome to No Sanity Required.
Welcome to No Sanity Required from the Ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a podcast about the Bible, culture, and stories from around the globe. Okay, I'm going to be reading from um, Luke chapter 9 out of this morning. I'm going to read out of the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB, that version of Scripture. I enjoy reading this version. Um, a lot a lot of people um, like to debate and discuss Bible versions and um I had a guy tell me recently that the New American Standard is the superior version. Uh, a lot of folks in my neck of the woods um, will consider it heresy to use anything other than the King James Version. I like to use all the versions. I even recently got the Legacy, let's see, is it the LSB Legacy Standard Bible that the John MacArthur crowd put out? Um but I use the New American Standard a lot. I use the New King James a lot. I read the King James. Of course, at Snowbird, we predominantly and primarily use, at Snowbird and Red Oak, the ESV, which is the English Standard Version. I like the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. Um, just read the Bible. Find a, a version that you can manage and handle and understand and read it. Just read God's Word. Um, but I'm going to re- be reading from the CSB this morning. This is the account of the transfiguration of Jesus. Luke chapter 9, verse 28. About eight days after this conversation, now, by the way, for context, the conversation is the conversation where Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. So Jesus has explained to the disciples that following him requires a laying down of your life. So about eight days after this conversation, he took along Peter, John, James, and went up to the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Peter And those with him were in a deep sleep. And when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. And the two men who were standing with him, as the two men were departing from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he was saying. While he was saying this, a cloud appeared and overshadowed them. They became afraid as they entered the cloud. Then a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. After the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. They kept silent and at that time told no one what they had seen. We live in the best time in history. I always remember growing up and the old folks would talk about two things. They would talk about the, quote, good old days with much fondness, and they would talk about how difficult life was in the Depression era or during, quote, the war, which was a reference to World War II. So they'd talk about the good old days, but they would talk about how difficult it was in, I guess, what they would consider the good old days. Admittedly, it's easy to look back at periods of history and romanticize what life would have been like then. I do it. Or we look back at an earlier period of our own lives and imagine that it was better than it actually was. Do you do this? I do it. I know I do it. I look back at different times in my life and think, man, it was, it's almost like nostalgia is a good thing, but it becomes sometimes not super realistic. The reality is we live in the most exciting time in history. 
the glory of the Lord has been fully revealed in Christ Jesus in his earthly ministry and in his resurrection and in his ascension and in his revealed word to us, the scriptures. This is the greatest blessing in history. For thousands of years, people waited for the mysteries of the Savior to be revealed. From the fall of man in the Garden of Eden to Noah to Abraham and God's promises down through Moses, the judges, the kings, and all of the prophets in between, we see God show glimpses of his own glory. He uses prophets like Elijah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and Daniel to reveal much of himself and his plan for history. He often appeared in some specific form. For instance, with Moses, he appeared as fire or smoke. These scenes are intense, from the burning bush encounter in Exodus chapter 3 to the giving of the tablets of stone containing the law. The scenes are extremely intense, often completely changing Moses' literal physical appearance. Additionally, when God fills the tabernacle in the wilderness with his glory, the scene is pretty fantastic. Then, when King Solomon completes the building of the temple in Israel, God comes in and fills the temple with his glory, and it is an overwhelming scene to see through the word and imagine now some 3,000 years later. Isaiah has visions into the heavenly throne room and shares that experience, and it is powerful in Isaiah 6. So throughout history, there were glimpses of God's glory in a specific and revealing way, but not in full disclosure. It was always shrouded in mystery. In fact, Isaiah says that he could see the hem of the robe the train of that robe filling the temple. And there was smoke and fire, and he covered his face, and he said, Woe is me, and the angels surrounding the, the glory and the throne of Jesus were covering their face, crying, Holy, holy, holy. There's mystery that surrounds this. Then when the shepherds in Luke chapter 2 hear the proclamation of Christ's arrival, in Bethlehem, the angels of God surround them and fill the sky and sing glory to God in the highest and on earth. The glory of God came in fullest revelation with the coming of Jesus into the world. Then, throughout the ministry of Jesus, beginning at his baptism, we see the revelation of his glory continually being revealed in more and more clarity. God is making it clear that Jesus is his only begotten son sent into the world to fulfill all of his promises to mankind, specifically through the prophets of old and the covenants he made with humanity through men like Abraham, Moses, and David. Now in Luke 9, we see the fullest revelation yet of who the God-man is. God, who literally speaks from heaven, confirms this in Jesus. I want to consider five facets of the revelation of God confirming the glory of Jesus in this text. The glory of Jesus refers to the element of his magnificence that reveals he is worthy of all of the praise of heaven and earth. He is the ultimate majesty on high, yet humble and human. So the first thing we consider as a facet of the revelation of God confirming the glory of Jesus is this. 
we consider the radiating brilliance of Christ's appearance. The description and word for transfiguration that Mark uses in his account of this literally means metamorphosed. This is like the word we get metamorphosis from. It means brilliant change. The brilliance and brightness and radiance of Jesus is coming from Jesus, not reflecting off of Jesus. He is the source of the radiance. This is different from Moses on the mountain when he would come down and his face would be radiating with the glory of God, but it was a reflection. It was an effect of having been in the presence of God. For Jesus, this was different. For Moses, it had been 600 years since anyone had been eyewitness to the glory of God. These men here in Luke 9 are seeing the cloud and the pillar in the wilderness. They're seeing the fire in the desert and the smoke on the mountain. They're seeing the flame in the bush. They're seeing all of the filling of the temple and the vision of Isaiah. But they are eyewitnesses to the literal glory of God beheld in Christ Jesus. What did this moment mean for Jesus? Three things. First, It was a foretaste for Jesus of what was awaiting him in glory. The cross was before him, and in the dark shadow of that cross, he is given a moment in glorious, visible splendor and fellowship with the Father. Second, it was a moment of sweet fellowship with those who understood the loneliness of Jesus. In this moment, Jesus experiences joy and fellowship with those who understood where he was and what lay before him. In this, Jesus is given blessed assurance from heaven that he was not alone and he was not misunderstood. It was a reminder to Jesus that the mystery and majesty of the cross was understood in heaven, though those closest to him on earth couldn't seem to understand it at all. Third, it was the voice of the Father approving Jesus' work and obedience. For Jesus, that was enough. For me, it should be enough. Obedience is an honor. Number two, consider the presence of Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah had very large roles in Israelite and Jewish history and worship. They were patriarchal figureheads who had ministries that confronted earthly kings and challenged the nation to follow Jesus. In a sense, they themselves were messianic figures who foreshadowed Jesus. The three men who Jesus was revealing himself to would have grown up with no make-believe superheroes or villains, Peter and his buddies, but they would have learned the real and true stories of Moses and Elijah and many other judges and kings and prophets. You see, these men were the heroes to Peter and his friends in their childhood. They perhaps would have even pretended to be King David or the great warrior Joshua or Caleb. They might have pretended to be Elijah or Moses. An interesting note in the presence of Moses on the mountain here is that Moses was kept from entering the promised land in his day. So this is the first time Moses has physically seen the promised land in this moment. The true significance is that these men who represent the law and the prophets, Moses the one who received and gave the law, Elijah, who is the prince of prophets, represent all those Old Testament saints 
who trusted by faith that a Savior would come to save them. They had placed faith looking forward in the coming Messiah. These two represent them all. Conversing with Jesus about the fulfillment of it all, the old saints had died in faith, not having seen the promise fulfilled, and now Jesus had come and the promises were being fulfilled. Number three, consider the use of the word exodus by Moses. Moses was the messianic Christological figure in the exodus of the Israelites from the bondage and slavery of Egypt. That story was a foreshadowing of the gospel work that Jesus would do. Now Moses is asking about the work Jesus would do to redeem man and ascend back to the Father. In light of this moment, it's important for Peter, James, John to hear the conversation that goes on between Jesus and these two men relating to the coming glory of Christ that will only come through the ugliness and the death of the cross. Number four, consider the voice of God the Father affirming Jesus' role and affirming his authority. God the Father spoke at the baptism of Jesus, and that was the coronation of the public ministry of Jesus. Now God affirms the authority of Jesus. He is to be listened to. He is to be obeyed. This is so good for Peter, and it's so good for us because Peter had the tendency to admonish, lecture, negotiate, and even instruct Jesus, and we tend to do the same thing in our own lives. I do it. Do you? We often think that we know better than God, but we don't. We are to listen to the word of God. We are to listen to Jesus, and we are to obey. And number five, consider finally the disciples' reaction to all of this. I want to combine the reaction here in Luke 9, which is somewhat comical, to their long-term reaction. In fact, it seems like they don't even know what to say. So Peter says, let's build a tent. Maybe that was a reference to the Old Testament tent of meeting. Maybe it was the nervousness of someone who didn't know what to say but felt like he couldn't keep silent, which he probably should have. There's a time to just be silent and be still before the Lord, before the glory of the Lord, and just look and consider, and worship. I think Peter understood this later. We read his words in 2 Peter 1, 16-18. There he says this, For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. For we received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard his voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter, in his last letter to the church just before he would lay down his own life for the gospel, many years later, reflecting on this moment in Luke 9. Peter was probably only about 19 or 20 years old when this happens. So many, many years later, looking back, he had a deeper and fuller understanding and appreciation. So his reaction was immediate, but when we studied the course of Peter's life and later his letters and writings, we know that the reaction was long-term and continued to have an impact, a deepening impact. Each of these men that are with Jesus on the mountain they saw it fulfilled 
in the resurrection of Jesus and were willing to take the gospel to the world and be persecuted for it. This wasn't a lie or else they'd have all quit. The significance of the disciples being here in this moment, and they are representatives for all of us today, was that they would be instructed in the authority of Jesus' teaching. We too are under the authority of the words of Jesus. So the question for us today is this. What do we do with the glory that has been revealed? We're not trying to figure it out as we go. We know the end of the story. We can read ahead. We are living on the backside of it all. And for that reason, this is the greatest period in history. The cross has rotted. The tomb is empty. Jesus is Lord. And the throne is established. Let's live our lives for the glory of God, knowing that one day he's returning. And in that day, we will behold his glory in full and perfect knowledge. But in this day, we have the glory of God revealed in the word of God and the resurrection of Jesus. Let's live like it. Hope that's an encouraging word for you today. Thank you for, again, tuning in each week. Uh, tuning in. It's not like I'm a radio talk show guy or something, but <laughs> thanks for the support and for following and, and, and listening to the podcast. And it's so encouraging. I talked to so many people, hundreds, probably thousands this year that have come through this ministry or when I'm on the road that, that talk about um, what an encouragement that the podcast is. So thank you all. Appreciate you all. I want to give a shout out to a, a good friend and student pastor, Jonathan Couch, in uh, Christiansburg, Virginia. Uh, I want to give a shout out to um, a good friend, a former coach of one of my daughters, Laylee. That's Ray Gutierrez in Marietta, Georgia. Marietta, no, I'm sorry, Cherokee County, maybe Cobb County, Cobb County. Georgia. Uh, anyway, man, all that Georgia stuff around Atlanta runs together. It's such a big area. But anyway, this week, I want to give a shout out to, to my my brothers, Jonathan and Ray. Appreciate you guys. Both of you sent kind words this past week of encouragement. That's the kind of stuff that spurs me on. Um, pray for the upcoming book. We're trying to get this thing finished, and I'm really grateful to Susan Greenwood for all the work she's doing to help get that done, and Amanda Potter, my personal assistant, who's keeping me on track, trying to get that that, that done and finished and, and uh, edited and excited um, for where we're at with that. Just got to get it finished. Appreciate you guys. Um, behold the glory of Jesus today and this week, and think about his goodness, and I pray that the the, the love of Jesus and the power of the gospel will impact you today and every day. And we'll see you next week, Lord willing. Thanks for listening to No Sanity Required. Please take a moment to subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps. Visit us at swoutfitters.com to see all of our programming and resources. And we'll see you next week on No Sanity Required.